Hi everyone. I hope your summer is coming to a good close and that you are doing well. We are excited to bring you season two of I'd Rather Be Reading beginning September 6th, but for this episode, we just couldn't wait. I read Dr. Tony Brooks' book, Leave No Man Behind, about a month ago, and I couldn't wait to talk to him about his experience serving as an army ranger in Afghanistan. We had a call scheduled for last week, but something came up and we had to reschedule to today, which is August 19th. And of course, in the midst of our rescheduling, Afghanistan was taken over by the Taliban, including its capital city of Kabul. What this means for the Afghani people, specifically women and children, is potentially catastrophic. I also naturally have been thinking a lot about those like Tony, who served in Afghanistan in our 20 years there. I always make it a point whenever I know someone has served to thank them profusely for their service, probably to the point of embarrassment for them. But this week, especially, it seems appropriate to reach out to any veterans, you know, and thank them for their service in Afghanistan or Iraq or Vietnam or wherever they served. Tony and I obviously talk in depth about his book, which truly is so well-written Some of the passages are so beautiful that they hurt to read, but we also talk about what's going on right now in our world. I'm really not sure how he couldn't. I'm excited for you to listen to what he says about the book, about current events, about everything. This book takes us back to the summer of 2005 when Dr. Brooks, then a newly minted army ranger, was part of one of the most rigorous and dangerous rescue operations in modern military history. The 75th Ranger Regiment search for 12 Navy SEAL casualties and eight downed night stalkers with just one survivor. Now, if that sounds familiar, Some of it was depicted in the book and the film Lone Survivor, both of which I've read and seen respectively, and it's it's a compelling story. But most people only know part of that story, and this is the full story of that mission. Take a listen. Dr. Brooks, thank you so much for being here. I know that I'm sure you'll want me to call you Tony, but I want to call you Dr. Brooks because you earned that as well. Welcome to the show. And, you know, I always say this to those who have served our country, but it seems especially appropriate with everything going on in our world right now. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for your dedication to and the sacrifices you've made for our country. Thank you. Thank you. And welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. And and thank you for that warm welcome. You know, you're right. It's been a crazy few weeks, hasn't it? Yes, it has. And we are recording this episode on August 19th. So we are in the midst of so much news about so in everywhere about um, the Taliban taking over the Afghan capital of Kabul. And so that is uh, the timestamp for where we find ourselves during this conversation. So Tony, you're an army ranger and you were specifically a part of the 75th Ranger Regiment. 
So you write in your amazing book, by the way, about how important it is to leave no man behind and how, quote, every soldier comes home, period, end quote. So I want to hear from you in your own words why this matters so much to the Army Rangers. Yeah, so part of what we live by as Army Rangers is called the Ranger Creed. You know, I go into it in my book, but essentially it's a it's a way to live your life. It's a way to guide you, you know, in your tasks ahead. So le- the leave no man behind part is is more than just the Ranger Creed, though. It's more of a, a warrior mantra that when you go off to battle, when you are in the worst situations you could possibly imagine, that you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're buddies to your left and your right, and someone is going to come get you. You'll never be left. And that does a lot to the human psyche, and it gives you, you know, a lot of willpower moving forward. It's, yeah. it's yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing to, to know that no matter what happens, your buddies are going to be there, dead or alive. Yeah, it's it very is, powerful. It, it definitely espouses such a sense of camaraderie, like no matter what, they're going to take care of you. Yeah, it doesn't matter the situation. I mean, in our case, you know, we we had to pull guys out of, you know, a burned helicopter. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, I knew that by recovering those guys, that if I was in their shoes, they would have been there to help me. Absolutely. It's very powerful. Yes, it is. The whole book is is very powerful. So you write in the book about like so many others, you were inspired to enter military service after 9-11. We're quickly approaching the 20-year anniversary, unbelievably, of of 9-11. And you were also inspired to enter service through Pat Tillman. You write, quote, if Tillman could die in war, what did that mean for me, a mere mortal, end quote, which I thought was beautifully phrase. Um, You also write in the book that military service was a little bit out of the blue for your life when you enlisted. Explain that to us. Yeah, I was I was more of like the the academic, like if you're going through high school and college, the guy that just always kind of did well in school. Um, Maybe maybe a moderately decent athlete, but not a superstar, not a jock by any means. And I, my path was always to go to college and be educated and, you know, do something professional, you know, white collar type work. So, you know, 9-11 literally flipped my life on its head um, in many ways. You know, I left college to go do something, what most would say is very blue collar type work, uh, being an army ranger. Yeah, so you write, quote, we simply wanted to do what we could to protect our country. And if that involved killing, so be it. The mission was, this mission was necessary, but it didn't feel good. It didn't feel liberating as I thought my time here would feel. I was here to avenge an attack on my country, end quote. Again, this whole book is just really beautifully written to describe an experience that so few of us will ever take part in ourselves. So because so many of us will never experience this, tell us if you would, what it's like to serve 
in combat? I realize that is a gigantic question, but um, your book does this beautifully. But if you could kind of summate for us that experience. Yeah, so that kind of summed it up pretty good to say that, you know, I went to become an army ranger to avenge and to out of anger almost, you know, it, I think that I wasn't alone on that, that a lot of us were angry about 9-11. A lot of us wanted revenge. I mean, if you look at the support for the Afghan war at the very beginning, it was overwhelming. Like the, the entire country wanted us to go there. Um, so, you know, when you, when you go to that, to war, you expect certain things. You expect, you know, the, the battle scenes and the, the fighting and the camaraderie. Well, on my first experience in war, it was nothing like that. You know, I saw, I, I got to see the, the throes of battle and not only that, but I saw us losing. No one ever imagines going to war and losing. So to be out on the, on the battlefield and see, you know, man, you know, we, we lost, we lost our guys. And it was a big wake up call for me. You know, you, you never go into this stuff thinking you're going to lose. And to me, that's what I started off as a loser in war. And it, it was an awful feeling. How do you find the courage, Tony, to, to, and the willpower to press on, even in those dark depths of war? Again, it's mostly the camaraderie. You know, I think if I was out there as an individual, I would have quit right at the beginning because it was horrible but seeing the guys in, to your right and left just keep pushing along and you know it's it's a, a good peer pressure where it's driving you to be a better person the guys I served with were amazing you know I still am friends with them to this day in fact I'm meeting two of them today wow. so it's it's um it's something special when you get a group of people that you know most of us are ordinary guys you know, you know, people hear Army Ranger or Navy SEAL and they think these extraordinary people. And it's, you know, it's really not true. And I tried to kind of put that in my book that, you know, we're mostly ordinary guys, but we do extraordinary things because of the group mentality. So, you know, peer pressure is always seen as a bad thing. And I, I love peer pressure. I think peer pressure makes us better. Um, obviously, it can be used negatively too, but I love it in the positive context especially in the war, wartime environment. Yeah, well, I would respectfully disagree. I think you are extraordinary, but I'll let you think you're ordinary if you if that's how you feel. So once you started- well, I appreciate that. <laughs> so once you started training to become an army ranger, failure was not an option for you. You even write in the book about your fear of failure. So if you could, on a high level, talk us through the grueling process of becoming an army ranger. Yeah, becoming an army ranger is a, a process that I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy. Um, it's essentially a grueling one-year path to of basically people trying to beat you down, break you down physically and mentally, so that they can build you into this amazing warrior. And I can't tell you how many times in my head I thought I was going to fail or my body was going to quit. Or my mind was telling me, you know, you can just quit. You can just say I'm done and walk away. But pride is, a, is an amazing superpower. 
And for me, pride uh, completely overwhelmed all the, the, the failure, the, the, the thoughts of quitting. So, you know, be, to become an armor ranger, you go through basic training, you go through infantry school, you go to basic airborne training, and then you go to this place called ranger indoctrination program. And that's like no place anywhere else on earth. It's a month long program where the instructors really, their job is to make you quit, make your life miserable and make you quit. They want people who are mentally strong and that want it more than their own physical body, basically. So they break you down. So that, I mean, it's, it's more grueling than, if I had to do it again, I would probably ask for more money. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's one of those things that um, as a young person, it's, it, it's doable. But at my age, you know, I'm almost 40 years old. I couldn't imagine going through that again. I couldn't imagine going through it the first time. So respect, respect all day that you did. And, you know, I walked into this book, admittedly, not knowing much about what an army ranger was. Uh, I learned so much about the rangers through reading this book, like the ranger creed, which you alluded to earlier. And um, I loved the three variations of rangers that you write about. I'll, I'll let um, <laughs> listeners read the book to find out what you mean by that. Um, you set, you write about how rangers get sent wherever there's trouble. And you write, quote, if you give your life for your country, we get you home, end quote. So I want to I wanna, um, give our listeners a little bit of context about um, the mission, your iconic, actually, first mission as an Army Ranger, uh, the one that ultimately rescued Navy SEAL Marcus Luttrell, which was the emphasis behind the book and the movie Lone Survivor, which I've read the book, I've seen the movie. And on this mission, you and your fellow Rangers had come to bring home the 16 men lost in the crash of Turbine 33 and the four members of a Navy SEAL reconnaissance team, of which Luttrell was the only survivor, hence the title Lone Survivor. So you write, quote, this is beautifully said, the experience tested my humanity like nothing I had done before. For better or worse, I would never be the same, end quote. And of finding Luttrell, quote, it jolted me back to life and reminded me why we were on this mountain, end quote. Of course, this is all happening in Afghanistan, listeners, to give you some more context. So there is so much to unpack from this mission, and you spend the whole book doing just that. But I want to zoom in on one detail that actually brought me to tears, Tony, and that is the detail about finding Major Stephen Wright's wedding ring. That story is so deeply moving to me. Can you, can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's my favorite part of the whole book. I, you know, it made me smile. It made me so happy. But what happened was when this helicopter crashed, the 16 men on board of Turbine 33, my job was to go in and recover the crash site with my team in my platoon. So we did this just that. We recovered all 16 men. They had all perished in the helicopter crash. And at the end of the crash, we, you know, someone knew actually, a couple of the guys knew Commander Reich, and they were puzzled because they said, you know, he was married and we know him pretty well. He, he, sh he should have been wearing his wedding ring. 
And so there was a lot of discussion and we started talking about, you know, is it here, you know, where is it? Um, and, and one of the guys insisted he was wearing it. 100% he was wearing it. Well, it wasn't on his body when we found him. So the consensus was in the middle of the war zone <laughs> that we were gonna get on our hands and knees, all of us, about probably 25 of us, and we we're gonna crawl around in a recently burned helicopter crash and look for a wedding band. And it took us hours of sifting through ashes and you know, downed trees because there was a huge fire. And lo and behold, someone, and I wish I remembered who it was. I, I made meticulous notes on this mission. I wish I knew who it was, but I didn't write the name of the person. So someday I will find out again, <laughs> but I, I have trouble finding out. And he found this ring, he found it in the ashes. And I can't even tell you the amount of celebration that we had in the middle of this war zone, this awful event. And we're celebrating the, the finding this wedding band to bring home to his widow. And years later, you know, as I'm writing this book, I, I really wanted to put this story in because I thought it was pretty powerful in a wartime environment. It's not something you typically will hear about. And I, I got up the courage to reach out to the widow to find out if she ever received the ring. And of course I had to be very diplomatic because of course I didn't want to cause any trauma. I didn't want to really talk about this. I didn't want to bring up this old horrible event. And I asked her, I just, I said, you know, uh, we recovered some things on that mission. And I was just wondering if you received anything. And not 20 seconds later, did I get a picture back from her? It was a picture book. of a wedding band. Yeah, the picture is in the book. And it's a picture of her wearing her husband's wedding band next to his picture. And I can't even tell you how much that means to me. And yeah, I wept. I wept openly yeah. at that. Because <laughs> in in the midst of I mean literal death and destruction, you're in a on a crash site that's killed 16. And it's it's a glimmer of hope in in the midst of such turmoil and chaos. And it's it's a beautiful testament to the camaraderie, as you have said, that the Army Rangers have. And um, I'm so glad you included that story because I think it's, I think it, the whole book's great, but I think that's one of the best parts of, of the book. And the book really does a great job taking us inside combat. I found this really interesting, Tony. You write that, quote, war fighting is like being an anesthesiologist, 90% boredom and 10% meaningful work end quote and I was also shocked to read that seven out of ten military people in Iraq and Afghanistan die outside of combat can you talk us through that yeah so that's a common misconception that you know it's in these bloody battles is where we lose our men now we lose a lot of special operations soldiers in, in combat that is absolutely true but most deaths are actually either in training or just troop movements, your everyday, very dangerous tasks that the military accomplishes. Now, people don't necessarily think that, you know, driving a Humvee or, you know, 
refueling a tanker and stuff like that is that dangerous, but it is, especially when you are worried about someone possibly shooting at you. So, you know, during training and during these, what, what most of us consider mundane tasks in a war zone are not mundane at all. In fact, everything the military does, whether we're in battle or not, is extremely dangerous. So it, it should bring a new level of respect to um, the people that serve in uniform because it is extremely dangerous and they are risking it all almost every single day of their lives. You also taught me that in, as of 2015, less than 1% of Americans were serving in the military. That, of course, compared to the bygone era of, say, World War II or even Vietnam, soldiers were becoming an oddity. Why do you think this is? You know, we're in an era that technology has boomed in the military. So we're using these amazing tools and, and equipment. And we got to remember that this was the first, I mean, first of all, it's the longest war in American history. And second, it's the only war where it was 100% volunteer. So you could imagine that if everyone's volunteering for something, you're not gonna really hear much about it. If people are forced to go, there's gonna be a lot of pushback and a lot of news. So I think the oddity comment was more like, more of like we fought a shadow war. I mean, yes, people knew we were at war, but we really didn't. I mean, in our everyday lives, how often did we hear about Afghanistan until last week? No, it's so true. Mostly never. I, yeah, well, I think we've got 9-11, then we've got Osama bin Laden's assassination 10 years later. And then 10 years after that, we've got this week. And that's, you're right. It's been mostly in the shadows. Yeah, yeah and you know, it, it's, it's a little disappointing, like looking back on how much we didn't cover it. And that's probably why we were there for so long. You know, I don't want to say wasting our time, but mostly wasting our time. We could have, we could have done what we did this past week, 10 years ago, with the same result. So it, yeah. it feels very disingenuous to a lot of veterans right now. So love your veterans, reach out to them and, and say hi, at least. Yeah, please. A lot of us are experiencing lots of emotions right now. It's the least we can do. And you know, that's, that's a great segue. How, how are you doing this week? I mean, I know we talked briefly offline, but how are you doing? And I, and I mean that like it's a very sincere question, not just the passive, how are you? But how, how are you today? Yeah, so this is really cool because, you know, if you read my author's note, you know that one of the big things that I was trying to accomplish was that exact conversation. Yep. Reach out to that veteran and ask them that question. Don't be afraid to ask. But I'd say this past week has been one of the roughest weeks I've had in Gosh, probably since, you know, this event <laughs> that I wrote about. Wow. And the reason is because, you know, I've lost lots of friends. I spent time overseas myself. And I know exactly how the Afghan women and children were treated during the Taliban years. And that was extremely motivating to be over there to, to fight for them. So we weren't just fighting for our country. We we're fighting for those people that were being held in slavery basically and watching the events on tv this past week has jolted me to the point where it's like 
I'm literally watching millions of women that are about to become slaves and I, and I can't do anything about it. I'm, I'm basically chained to a chair watching a family member be assaulted or murdered in front of me. And it's, it's a horrible feeling. And I feel that way. And I, I never served. I mean, I've never obviously even been to Afghanistan, let alone, you know, served and seen this firsthand. And I think a lot of, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and try to espouse that I understand the veteran experience. But what I'm hearing is a lot of veterans are feeling as though their service was in vain. And I just want to say that it absolutely was not. And, you know, I, I, I will, I want to make that very clear that, you know, the service that you and your comrades did over there is, is, is served a purpose. And, and I, and I want you, I, I want you to know that from the bottom, like I'm getting a little emotional over here. I want you, I want you to know that. I want you to know that in I, no uncertain terms. Well, thank you. And I, I agree. Um, you know, like I said, I've, I've done lots of work on myself over the years. So, you know, even though I'm emotional, uh, I'm, I'm okay. And I just want most veterans to, to just try to put this in perspective that there is a 20 year old girl out there in Afghanistan right now that has experienced 20 years of freedom. Wow. You should be proud of that. Absolutely. Because before that, her life, she had no life, but she was born into freedom because of what, was, what did happen on the ground. Despite what's happening right now, you know, we, we have an uncertain future in Afghanistan. We don't know what's gonna happen over there. The Taliban claims they're not going to be as ruthless. You know, we don't know. But um, all we can do is, unfortunately, watch it at this point. What would you suggest that someone like me, just a lay person, could do to, to support a veteran who served? Um, just reaching out to them and asking them how they are, would that help? I mean, that's it is helpful. And I think just like anyone veterans just want to matter you know you know it's not we don't we need no parade we don't need a party we don't need you to excessively reach out but i think most of us want just the simple things like you know when you go into an interview for a job you want to have that be a positive thing and not something like oh man i wonder if you've got ptsd you know being a veteran is a very powerful thing. You know, I, I'm, I'm a better doctor. I'm a better dad. I'm a better human because of my experience in the military. And it should be an asset, not a liability. Because I hear all the time from veterans, they're like, <laughs> yeah, I went into an interview. And in the interview, they asked, basically, without saying it, if I had PTSD. That was what they wanted to know about their service. And I, and I think that's a disservice. Absolutely. Our veterans should be a cut above the rest of us, not the other way around or anything else than, than that, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, that kind of leads perfectly into my next question. You write, quote, naturally, it was difficult for me to assimilate back, not necessarily because of what I'd seen or been through over there, meaning Afghanistan, but the spirit of disunity I found back here, meaning the United States. That is such a powerful passage. Can you explain 
more of what you mean. I'm sure it kind of dovetails with what we were just speaking about. Yeah, I mean, I think this past year and a half, it's been amplified. Um, what I've seen amongst you know neighbors and friends and on, on social media and in public, I, I've been horrified. I mean, the, the, the whole COVID, you know, did you get your vaccine or did you not get your vaccine? Do you wanna wear a mask or not wear a mask? Like, you know, we're losing friends and, and dividing society on these. I mean, if you think about it, is, is a mask really enough to make you not like that person that you've, you've liked your whole life? It seems silly to me. Um, so the disunity in, in America, I think what's tough for a lot of veterans is it's these petty things. It's not like you tried to kill my family, like you want my family dead, like in war. It's these simple little things and we're fighting and we're yelling and we're separating society and we're treating people like they're evil. It's, it's been tough to watch and it feels like it's ramping up again, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I hear you. So brief snapshot of your life today, you married the unicorn, which readers will have to read the book to understand that reference. <laughs> um, you, you have, how many children do you have? I have a seven-year-old boy named Ryle and a four-year-old daughter named Evan. Okay. You're now a chiropractor, you're a doctor. Um, and, you know, wrapping up, Tony, you write in the book, and you just said this a moment ago, but you write, quote, I am a better human being because I served with these men, end quote. So how are you a better human being because of your time as an army ranger, which you detail so wonderfully in this book? Yeah, I think mostly I've learned the power of group and what it means to be part of something that's much bigger than yourself. You know, you can go into company meetings or, you know, your local Rotary Club or, you know, whatever it is, and you, you can feel that unity. You feel like there's that mission that's greater than your own personal being. And that's one thing I took out of the military was if you put a group of people in a room and you give them a mission that they all can unite around, anything's, anything's possible. Now, if you try to go at things alone, there's a chance you're gonna fail. You know, I, I, I like to talk about um, any successful person I've ever, meet, ever met, ever been involved with, they have these ridiculous networks of people and a team that you wouldn't believe working with them and behind them. It's never, it's never that one person that's uh, so extraordinary that you know we want to be like that person. No, you want to be like that person and their team. So that's how I feel like I'm a better person is I know the power of a team. This book is a must read. Thank you for being here today, Tony. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for your service to our country. Thank you for having me. And I hope everyone enjoys the book. I love to hear feedback. So if you ever want to reach out to me, drtonybrooks.com, please let me know what you think. I am really enjoying reading people's responses.
going to be a bestseller. So thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you very much. Tony's book, Leave No Man Behind, is out now. Take some time to read it and also to pray, send positive vibes, send well wishes, whatever you do to the people of Afghanistan. And while you're at it, call a veteran and say thank you. Your service, men and women, was not in vain. We'll be back in your feed with season two on September 6th. Until then, take care of yourselves. <laughs>